Well, we are so glad that you guys are, are here uh, today. I know maybe I'll say this next week, but if you could only come to one week in the Joshua series, you picked the right one today. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. If you've been studying with us, we're ready for Joshua chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up there. And just so we can kind of recap where we've been, uh, the book of Joshua starts with Moses' death. Uh, Moses' Moses's great leader of the children of Israel has died. There's a new leader that comes to take over and uh, influence the children of Israel as they have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years uh, after they left captivity in Egypt. And now it is time for them to finally cross over into the land that God promised to give them uh, through Abraham, maybe seven to eight hundred years before this day. So it is moving day. It is a big day. It's a day that they have been waiting for for generations, and we get to kind of eavesdrop into this story. And it's very exciting. So today, one of the ways that we're going to look at it, and for those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, this morning. We're going to talk about some keys to our crossing, because this story is really about crossing the, the, the Jordan River. We're going to see that. But all of us today need to understand that as many times we'll find crossings and they're sort of impossible situations. Because what's unique about this, I think we have a picture of the Jordan River. When the children of Israel are crossing the Jordan River in this story in Joshua chapter 3, uh, we learn that it is, at, it is at flood stage. So it's the worst possible time imaginable for 2 million Hebrews uh, to cross over this river. And we see that God does that for a reason. Most of the year when you go to Israel, the Jordan River is kind of like the Stones River in the middle of the summer. You could walk across it and barely get water up you know, above your ankles. And so it's, just a, it's, a, it's a terrible time to cross, but there's a reason for that. God's going to show himself uh, to them. Now, here's the thing. You're going to be up against some impossible situations in your life. Some of you are facing that right now. If you're not facing it right now, uh, you will face it uh, in the future. Some of you right now are, are dealing with a loss in this last year that has just been so traumatic, and it's, it's hard for you just to, to believe again. It feels like you're up against the impossible. Uh, some of you, it's just a, an overwhelming anxiety that just seems to plague you and, you, and you can't seem to shake it. It, it seems like an impossible situation. For, for others, it's a, it's a habit or, or behavior that just so reoccurring and it just brings a lot of damage to people around you and it brings a lot of guilt and shame in your own life and you, and you just can't seem to have a breakthrough. For some of you, it's just a broken relationship with somebody that you loved and you trusted, but that relationship is just severed and it ended badly and it's just frustrating and you just feel like, man, I'm just up against an impossible situation. Well, that's, we're going to see some keys from this story today that I think are really going to, to help us. And you can't study the book of Joshua without understanding this. The book of Joshua is all about having the courage to step into all that God has for you. Because the children of Israel were going to step into this promised land, it was a chance for them to claim their inheritance. And I want to tell you for the church today, that's why the book of Joshua is so important, because I believe there is so much more that the Lord Jesus has for you, but it's just learning how to claim your inheritance as a follower of Christ. So that's, that's what we're going to see, see today. So let's begin in Joshua chapter 3. Why don't we just start in verse 1? That seems like the right uh, thing to do. So let, That was bad, but at least some of you guys could have, it wasn't that bad. Somebody could have giggled. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. I have dreaded this passage for a long time because uh, that's a tough, tough one. Uh, right, some of you just now looked up. You hadn't looked up and thought, "What's he talking about?" Right, it's in the Bible. Right, it's a city that has a strange name. Can you imagine working for the Chamber of Commerce for Shittim? 
right? You think, you know, we've got to make this thing look better. It's tough, right? But it, it's interesting. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, this is my third time this morning to do this sermon. You have to be a little patient with me. Set out from Shittim and went to the, to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. I want us just to stop right here, and I want us to look at the first key to your crossing. And again, if you're not going through an impossible situation right now, my guess is one's coming. So what are some keys to the crossing? And, and, and the first one is this. I would say crossings, your crossing and my crossing, are for those who really flee from the foolish. And when I say this, I'm talking about foolish people, people of unbelief. And you say, well, I don't see that in verse 1. I don't, I, that, that, that's not there. So why, why are you making that point? Well, here's what I want to say. There, there are 2 million Hebrews that are about to cross the Jordan, and who's not here I think is as, as important as who is here. Do you know who's not here, who's not making this crossing? It's a group of people uh, that died in unbelief. In other words, they had a chance to go into the land much earlier, 40 years earlier. Uh, Moses sent 12 spies in. Ten, we talked about this uh, the last couple weeks. Ten of those spies came back with a negative report. They said, you know what, there's giants in the land. They are way bigger. We can't do anything about that. I know God has given us this land, but we don't believe that we can in inherit this land. And so they gave a negative report, and God was displeased with their, with their lack of faith or their lack of trust in His promises. And so it took 40 years for that entire generation to die out before the children of Israel were able to go in. So who's not here is probably as important as who is here, because if you are going to have a breakthrough in your life, then we have to at some point begin to flee the foolish, and, and you'll never cross. I think we have this in your notes. You'll never cross as long as you're surrounded by unbelief. And what is unbelief? It's people that just don't speak the truth of God's Word to you into those difficult circumstances and situations. A lot of times it goes like this, right? Let me just tell you this. A lot of times it's you're in a difficult spot in your marriage. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. You're in a difficult spot in your marriage, and you're talking to some of those closest people around you, and you're, just, and you're, and you're talking about, you know, ladies, you might be talking about your husband, and he's not sensitive, doesn't care for you, doesn't listen, on and on and on. And, and, and here's what she says. She says, you know what? It's so important, girl, for you to be happy. And if I was you, I'd, I'd just get away from this so you can be happy. Well, listen, that is, that is listening to someone of unbelief who doesn't know the truth of God's Word, right? And if we are just surrounded by people of, of unbelief, then we'll never experience the breakthroughs that God would have for us. Because look at this, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Look at this verse, great verse. Walk with the wise. What is a person of wisdom? A person of wisdom is a person who knows the will of God and surrenders to the will of God. That's a person of wisdom. Wisdom is different from knowledge, right? Everybody's got knowledge, right? We've got the Internet. Right, just look it up. We've all got knowledge. Knowledge is not the problem in the day that we live in today. Wisdom is the real issue, right? Knowing the will of God and obeying the will of God. If we walk, in other words, if we have our close associations with people of wisdom, then we will, what's the promise from Scripture? We will become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Those people who don't take those associations uh, well really suffer the consequences from that. So it's impossible for you and me to understand this story. One of the central figures in the story is a man by the name of Joshua. He, he plays this out so beautifully. He embodies this so beautifully. It's impossible to really understand Joshua's story without understanding his crossing buddy. His crossing buddy is, is Caleb. And in, in life, you need a crossing buddy. You need somebody who loves Jesus, knows the promises of D Jesus, and speaks the truth of Jesus into your life. And that's who Caleb was to Joshua. If you remember the story of the 12 spies, Joshua was one of the 12. Caleb was the other. They were the only two uh, to give a positive report and trust God. In fact, the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13, 
And by the way, let me just give you this. Here's a homework assignment. If you want to maximize the study of Joshua, it'd be great to go back and read uh, uh, the book of Numbers uh, before it because it tells about the wandering, what was going on in those 40 years before they crossed over in the book of Joshua. But we learn a little bit about Caleb. Watch this. Caleb, or, excuse me, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. It says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of land, for we can certainly do it. You see, Caleb was a different kind of dude. He was a guy who knew the promises of God, trust the promises of God, and Joshua had a close relationship with Caleb. And this close relationship is something that in many ways God uses to anchor Joshua through these 40 years and allows him this great opportunity. Because here's the truth. If I don't change my association, if I'm yoked up with unwise people, if I don't change my associations, I'll never leave the shore. Does that make sense? If we don't change our associations, we'll never leave the shore. The shore. Now, let's look at the second thing. Let's go on and read the uh, verses 2 through 4. Let's, let's, let's read on. It says, After three days, the officers went through the camp. So the children of Israel, think about this. Here they are, two million of them. They've been waiting. Uh, they're, not them, but the, the children of Israel have been waiting for close to 800 years for this day. It's a big day, right? Would you agree with that? And their inheritance is just on the other side. But wouldn't you know it, they show up and it's at flood stage. And they have to camp there for three days and just look at this raging river. Right? It's almost like mind games in some ways, but there's something far deeper. So verse 3, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, verse 3, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. This is going to be so important. In fact, there's only 17 verses in Joshua chapter 3. 17 verses. There's 14 references, 14 references to the Ark of the Covenant in these 17 verses. Now, I don't know about you, but that just tells me there's something important here. And so uh, what the commanders are saying to these two million people is you stay put. You don't take one step into that river until you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priest going ahead of you. And when you see it, you follow. Now let's talk about what, what is the Ark of the Covenant. If you grew up in church, you, you maybe knew that. But if you, if, you, if, you didn't, if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you didn't, didn't understand that as much. So the Ark of the Covenant is this chest, this gold-plated chest. For the Hebrews, it's where the presence of God resided. Uh, when, when the temple would be built, in the future, they would put the Ark of the Covenant right there in the Holy of Holies. This was where God's presence resided. So this is a powerful thing. It's even interesting that what's inside the Ark of the Covenant, there's three things that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. I wonder if you can think about what they are. First of them was the, first of them was the Ten Commandments, right? Those two tablets of the law that God gave to Moses. Second was Moses' brother Aaron's staff that had budded like a flower comes out of the top. And then the, the third thing was uh, jars of this manna that God fed the children of Israel in their desert wandering. Now, I just want to throw that out to you because we're going to come back to it in just a second, right? Verse 4, then you will know which way you are to go, right? After you see the Ark of the Covenant going out in the river, now you're going to know which way you're to go. Since you have never been this way before, right, you can't trust, on your, you can't trust your own logic, your own ways. You're not going to cross this on your own terms because you've never been this way before. You've never experienced anything like this before, so you're going to have to trust me. Uh, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before, but keep a distance. Watch this. You ought to underline this in your Bible, right? If somebody could just smile here today, that'd help me. Would that be all right? If you somebody just to break out and smile, that'd be good. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark and do not go near it. That's interesting. 2,000 cubits is about a half a mile, right? So let's talk about that for a little bit because there's a lot here and some helpful things if we're going to experience our crossing, if we're going to move from where we are to where God desires us to be. Does that get your attention? I mean, that's where I am. I want to go, I want to be, I want to go from where I am to where God wants me to be. 
I need to understand how, to, how, how I'm going to cross. Here's the second thing. Crossings are for those who follow, but they don't tailgate. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, we see this right in the Scripture. Again, 14 times there's reference to the Ark of the Covenant going ahead of the children of Israel. The point here is so clear is don't get ahead of me. God says, don't get ahead of me. You wait until you see my presence, and then you go. If you don't see my presence going ahead of you, you stay put. Well, that's a great lesson in life, right, isn't it? And we'll push into that, right? But here's what we're going to see. Crossings, if you're going to have a breakthrough, if you're going to have a crossing, uh, crossings are never on our terms, right? They're just not. We think they are, but they're not. We don't, we don't come to God on our terms. We don't have breakthrough spiritually on our terms. They're always on God's terms. Remember what I told you? Remember I told you the three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant? The first one was stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. That, was a, that, was, that, that reminds us when we're thinking about God's presence, we're reminded of God's law. That's how we come to God through obedience to His Word, right? We don't, we don't come to Him on our own terms. We come to Him through obedience of His words. He's already set the terms of the agreement. You see that? All right? And then secondly, we don't, we, our crossings are never on our terms. They're never in our time, right? We don't go when we feel like it, right? We, we go when, when God calls us, and, and God's time, you know, this is different than our time, you see? And we don't ever go by our own power, right? The, the second thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was, was Aaron's staff that had budded, right? Just think about that for a second. If we could just kind of demystify that for just a little bit. I mean, if you've got a walking stick out in your garage or if you go hiking, you've got, you got a stick, all of a sudden you go out there and that thing's got just a big flower on top of it, you know, that's alive. You're like, wow, this got real. Well, why, why is that? That's a picture of the supernatural power of God. I think the church just needs to be reminded of this. Listen, we serve a God of the supernatural, and the problems and the impossible situations in your life, you're going to need the power of God to be made manifest to those if you're going to experience a breakthrough because you won't do it on your own. It just, it just won't happen, right? So it's going to be, it's, it's going to be on God's terms, it's going to be on, on God's time, and it's going to be got by God's power. Those three things, on God's terms, right, uh, on God's time, uh, and through His, His power. Let's talk about the timing of God because it sure seems like a... Sure seems like bad timing. At some point, you get to the Jordan River, and it, it just would be at flood stage for a short period of the year. And when you have to be there and think, you know what, God, this seems like you didn't think ahead on this one, right? Why couldn't we have crossed it when it's just a just a just a trickle? You see, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. And so we're prone to question the timing of God in our life many times, aren't we? Have you ever been there? But let me tell you something: being ahead of God is far worse than waiting on God. Can I say that to you again? Being ahead of God, like jumping out there into something that God didn't call you into or hasn't gone ahead of you, is far worse than waiting on God. Uh, Pastor Joseph said this this week in, in his podcast uh, as we're going through the book of Joshua, Monday through Friday. I'd encourage you to, to listen to those. He said, people are trying to step into the water without the presence of God. That's what's happening so very often. We're trying to step into the problem, into the difficult things in our life without the presence of God. And that's how people get hurt, right? That's how people get hurt and suffer consequences. But I want to go just a little bit deeper, those of you still awake. How do we see God, right? Because here's what the Scripture says. You need, to, you need to wait until you see the presence of God before you go forward. Well, that's well and good, and we can say amen to that. We've been to church. Yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it. But how do you see God? Is that a real question? Because I hear people say this probably more than anything, Pastor Brady, I don't hear God and I don't see God in my life. So how do I know what to do next? That's a powerful question to ask, isn't it? 
And so how do we follow what we don't see? Let's look at a couple things now that we see from this text. Let, let me say this. I'm not going to say everything that, that can be said about that. But let, let's look at this for a second. Number one, if you want to see God, here's the first thing I think we need to do is we need to call off the core. And you're like, that's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. But the core, the core of engineers, what do the core of engineers do? One of the things the core of engineers do, they're, they're bridge builders. <laughs> they're bridge builders. And, and when, you, when you come to a situation like this, like the, the, the Jordan River, what we're prone to, be, to do as human beings is we're prone to try to build a bridge. <laughs> like, let's figure this thing out. We've got to get from point A to point B, and so let's figure this out. But God brought them up to a place. It was 150 miles in either direction before there was a shallow water crossing. It was a mile across. They weren't going to build a bridge across this. He brought them to an impossible situation. So sooner or later, we've got to qu- quit bridge building. We've got to quit trying to manipulate a situation and just wait on the presence and power of God. Why? Because this is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 12. Let me give you this verse. You may know it. But for our struggle, right, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Those words are, those, those plural words, rulers, powers, authorities, this deep-seated power the enemy has, your bridges don't work here, right? You, you, you can't create a, a way here. You've got to stop building bridges and let God show up and lead you. In, in this area. Here's the second thing about if you want to hear from God and, and, and see God so you can follow God, you have to put your yes on the table. That's one of our discipleship measures here if you're new at New Vision. We say, is your yes on the table? Because what we're prone to do is we're prone to hear the question and then give our answer. Like, you know, g- give me the question, let me think about it, and I'll give you my answer. Can I tell you something about God? He does not work that way. He does not work that way. If you want to hear from God, your yes has to be on the table before God speaks. Now, we, we don't like that, but that's the truth of, of, of God. And you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. A.W. Tozier, who's a far greater theologian than I'll ever be, here's what Tozier said. Most Christians don't hear God's voice because we've already decided we aren't going to do what he says. It's true, isn't it? Why don't we hear from God? Because we've really already decided we're probably not going to do what he says anyways. So if your yes isn't on the table, then God is not obligated to speak. To you, but you put your yes on the table. God, my yes is on the table. I will follow. I will obey. Then God will begin to show you direction in your life. Right. So that's the second thing. Let's look at the third thing. If you want to see God, we have to get familiar with His ways through His Word. Another one of our discipleship measures here is when am I turning the pages? Like, because people say I don't see God and I don't hear God. Well, you won't ever see God and hear God apart from being in the Word of God. That's just the truth of the matter. Right? And sometimes people say, well, the reason you don't see God and the reason you don't hear God is you don't have enough faith. You ever had anybody tell you that? Somebody could just nod? Yeah. Well, you just don't have enough faith. And you know what? They're right. But they don't tell you the other side of the story. Right? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing through what? The Word of God. Right? That's, that, that's right. So it's important. And, and one of our staff members said this this week. It's, it's really, really a cool thing. They said, you know, learning to hear God's voice is really like learning a foreign language. And I, I thought about that a lot this week. It sort of stuck in my mind because in school, where you guys, I wonder if you were like me, when you had a test, I, I crammed, right? If the test was on Friday, Thursday night, I'm crammed. College students, do you do that? Everybody does that. And that works. I mean, that works. It's way better than not studying, right? I'll tell you where it doesn't work as well as if it's a foreign language. Because you just can't really take in all of that just at the last minute. You really, if you, if you want to do well in a foreign language, you have, to, you have to be in it every day for just a little bit. Right? That's how we learn a foreign language. You're just in it every day a little bit until it becomes really second nature. 
The hardest class for me academically in my entire career was in seminary. It was Hebrew. I've told this story hundreds of times. And uh, I was terrible. And uh, my professor, he was a brilliant guy, and I had so much respect for him. I was so nervous to be around him. He called me into his office one day, and he said, uh, Brady, you're not doing well. That's encouraging. He said, in fact, you're, you're doing way worse than everybody else in the class. And he said, I know you, you, need, you need this to graduate. Uh, I said, yes, I do. He said, and uh, it, it doesn't look like you're going to graduate. Uh, and he said, um, but I got a deal for you. He said, if you tell anybody about this, I'll deny it. And, uh, uh, but here's the deal. Um, my son, he said, I, I know you, you played baseball, and, and my son is playing Little League Baseball. He's terrible. He said, every game, after every game, we get in the car, and he's struck out, and his mom's mad at me because I can't help him. I, he said, I never played. I don't know anything about it. I know nothing about baseball. I don't, know how to, I don't even know how to tell him how to hold the bat. I can't help him. And it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. He said, could you help him? And he, no, he said this. He said, if you could help him, just get on base once this year. If you could help him, then I'll make sure you graduate. You can pass this class. I said, deal, done. <laughs> and uh, I haven't told this in any of the other services, but here's what I told his son after watching him swing. I said, let me tell you something. Don't swing. Don't ever swing. Because <laughs> I don't have enough time to help you, and you're never going to hit the ball. With that swing, you will never hit the ball. But your mom and dad want you to get on base, and you want to get on base, don't you? He said, I sure do. I said, so here's what you do. You get up there, you get as close to that plate as you can. And just as that pitcher gets into his windup, you just wink at him. He'll think you're crazy. That's okay. And don't ever swing. The odds are in your favor. A couple times during the game, he'll throw you more balls than strikes, and you'll get on first base. It changed his life. Changed his baseball. He got on first, first game. He got on base. I graduated Hebrew, and I'm your pastor now. That's how that works. So, right? Yeah. So all that to say, all that to say is learning a foreign language takes, takes time. You've got to be in it every, sing, every single day. Look at the fourth and final thing about seeing God move. This is the part we don't ever talk about. But the Scripture does. Because you go back and you read Joshua chapter 3, it tells the children of Israel that they are not to go near the ark. Now, that, sounds, that doesn't sound spiritual, does it? Like, what do you mean? Don't go near the ark. Stay back a half a mile from it. You ever heard a message on that? Stay far from God. You want to see God? Back up. So what, what, let's, let's kind of wrestle with that a little bit. Let's talk about that. What is, what is, what, what's really in play there? A couple things. There are 2 million people on the shore of the Jordan River. The Ark of the Covenant is moving out. A, sm a small little chest is going out. And so they're backing up so everybody could have a clear vantage point of the ark so they could see God. You see, the problem in the church today is, is there's stuff going on in our lives today that are making it difficult for other people to see God. You see that? That's our testimony. That, that's, and we've got to back up and take, take that seriously because there's some things going on in our life that are making it difficult for people to see God. Secondly, the reason they are backing up, it is to remind them that they need to have a healthy awe and respect or reverence for the power of God. Right? Very, very important. In fact, the city, Shittim, right, that we see in Joshua chapter 3, you go back to do, or, or go back to Numbers, go back to the book of Numbers chapter 25. Some of you might want to write this down. Go back to Numbers chapter 25, and you'll see years earlier something quite tragic happened there under Moses' watch. The children of Israel were living in and around this same area, 
And they begin to worship the Baal of Peor. They begin to worship this false god, this Moabite god, thousands of them. So they're breaking the first three commandments in the Ten Commandments. And not only that, they're beginning to have sexual relationships um, with their pagan neighbors, with people that they're not married to, with people that worship much different from them. And so God, in His perfect wrath, sends a plague and destroys 24,000 Hebrews. In Numbers chapter 25. And so is that they're at this same city. They are remembering what happened in the past. You don't soon forget that. So there's a healthy awe and reverence for God. So if we're tailgating, we're following too close. We're living our life without a healthy awe and respect for, for God. Chances are we won't see God. Look at Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. Let's read on. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, what is this amazing thing that God's going to do? It's going to be a parting of the Jordan River, so 2,000 people can cross. When it says says God's going to do an amazing thing, that phrase in the Hebrew, amazing thing, the closest example we have of that in the New Testament is a miraculous thing. God's going to do a wondrous thing. Do you want to see God do a wondrous thing in your life? I'm just asking, those of you who are still with me. Yeah, I think all of us here today would say, you know what, sign me up for that. If God wants to do a wondrous thing in my life, I want to see that. Well, let's go back to the very beginning of this passage. It's going to tell us how we're going to see a wonderful thing. What does it say to do? What is the imperative or the command? Consecrate yourself. Now, what does that word consecrate mean? The word consecrate means to to wash yourself. It means to put on a new garment. That's what they would do. They would wash themselves. They would put on a new garment. In fact, you see this same command given in Exodus chapter 19. Some of you are like, why are you sharing all these passages? Because you, you, you know what happened. Many of you, whether you realize it or not, know what happens in Exodus chapter 20, the next chapter. It's the giving of the Ten Commandments. Before God gave the children of Israel the law through Moses, He gave them the same command the night before. Consecrate yourself. And that consecrate meant clean yourself to have an, and, and, and for us it doesn't maybe carry as much weight because, you know, we, we, we showered or, you know, most of you did. If you didn't, you should have, right, this morning. So we, we clean ourselves and, and we have multiple, uh, you know, changes of clothes in our closets. They didn't. So it was a chance to outwardly really do something that, was, that, that showed them that they should take this spiritual cleansing so super important if they wanted to see a powerful movement of God in their life. Look at this, number three. We're coming to a close. Crossings are for those who separate themselves from the common to see the uncommon. That's what consecration does. I take sin seriously. So so let's ask this question. How do we consecrate ourselves? Well, I think there's three things that, that, that are involved, and maybe there's more. But for us, crossings require confession. That's the first way that we consecrate ourselves. Confession. What does it mean to confess? For a believer, confess just means to agree with God about the sin in your life. It means to be done rationalizing or justifying sin. We talk about that a lot, don't we? But aren't we great at that? I mean, we can rationalize and we can justify anything in our life, can't we? Confession is just calling it what God calls it, agreeing with God. Repentance is the next way that we consecrate ourselves. Repentance is turning away from it, right? That I'm I'm confessing this, and then I'm walking in a whole new direction. That's repentance. And then the third thing is renewal. Because when they consecrated themselves, the next day they would come out with a, with a new change of clothes on. It was a sign of this spiritual renewal. I want to I ask you to dig in here for a second. 
because I think we've sort of lost this a little bit, and we need a crossing, don't we? We need a breakthrough in our life. And so I think we need to just study deeply into the Word of God and see what's here that applies to our life. I, I grew up, let me try to explain it this way. I grew up in a church that was a rededicating church. Any of you grew up in a rededicating church? But some of you are like, that's the weirdest thing. Every Sunday we had an invitation, and everybody, just about everybody came down and rededicated their life to the Lord, right? We rededicated every week, sometimes on Wednesday nights. I'd have two rededications in a week, right? Because, you, you know, kind of felt sorry or had some guilt about something, so we just rededicated, rededicated, rededicated. And then there was this movement to do away with rededication because rededication was just kind of a workspace thing where we were just saying we're going to try harder, and it's not about trying harder but trusting God. I get that. But here's my point. What those rededications were... At the heart of them was saying, hey, today I'm going to show an outward sign. By me coming forward in front of my church family, I'm showing an outward sign. There's an inward change in my life. It's like baptism in some ways, an outward sign of an inward change. And I think this idea of renewal has some play for us to say that, you know what, you're going to see me in a new change of clothes. In other words, I, I want you to know that here's a sin area in my life that I'm confessing, and I want, I've, I've shared that with the Lord, and I'm going to share that with you as a trusted friend, right? You don't have to get up in front of everybody here today, but as a sign of renewal to share that with some close, trusted friends. That's why we believe groups are so important here, because it gives you an avenue to do that. And by sharing that is a picture of renewal, so other people around you can pray for you, encourage you in that. And I think it's a key to having a spiritual breakthrough, right, in our life. Now, let's, let's look at this. Ultimately, I have to say this really quickly. I know it's time to go, but can I just tell you this? Why did Moses not get into the promised land? Was it because of sexual immorality? No. I love it. He was angry, right? It was a quick temper. I mean, Moses, what did he do? God told him to speak to the rock and water would gush forth. And what did Moses do? He struck the rock. He had a quick temper. He was angry. Moses' anger cost him the promised land. So there was a sense that there needed to be consecration even in Moses' life. I think about that in my own life, man, to consecrate, to really confess that to the Lord, to turn away from that in my own life. I mean, anger, a quick, having a quick temper, which I can have, that has cost me so much in my life. I want to consecrate myself before the Lord to confess that, like to stand and walk in repentance, to walk away from that. And then... And to share that with others as a way, a sign of renewal so other people can pray for me. You see, I think this is how breakthroughs happen in our life because these things cost us so much. Now, let's finish it up. It says I have two minutes and we've got 11 verses to go. Can we do this? Sure we can. Believe God for the impossible. In the book of Joshua, God stops the sun one day. He could do it again. He could. I don't know that he will today. But anyways, verse 6, Joshua said to the priest, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people so that they took it and went up ahead of them. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. That's a great passage on leadership you talk about in your small group. Verse 8, Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, Go and stand in the river. Priest, you're going to have to take the ark, and you're going to have to take a stand, uh, take a step into the current and watch as God's going to unleash his power. That's got a lot of play. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Don't miss this. Right before they cross, one final time, what does Joshua say? Let's listen again to the words of God. Why do we listen to the Word of God? Because it is the Word of God that grows our faith. And Joshua knows when they get on the other side of the river, there are going to be real battles that they're going to have to fight, right? Real battles are going to have to fight. And it is going to be remembering the promises of God found in the Word of God that are going to keep you in the fight. Because if you don't know the Word of God, when you get to the other side of the river and these battles are coming, 
right? You're prone to just walk away. So they got a Bible study before they go. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Again, now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord. Again, 14 references in 17 verses. You better make sure that the presence and the power of the Lord is going ahead of you if you're ever going to cross. The Lord of all the earth set foot. After that, after you see the presence of the Lord, look at the last part of verse 12. Set foot in the Jordan. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp, I, I, I think that's a, that's a message for the church today. Can I tell you, it's time to break camp. It's time to go. It's time to fully walk out our faith in obedience to God and experience the power of God in our life. It's time to experience some breakthroughs in our life. Would you agree with me? It's time to break camp. So the people broke camp to cross the Jordan. The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. I love the church there. Too many. Hey, preachers, go on ahead. You got it. We'll pray for you. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge... Again, what are we saying? It is one step of obedience for you that unleashes the power of God. The water from, verse 16, the water from upstream stood, uh, stopped, excuse me, stopped flowing. It piled up at a, in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, or the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Can we just stop for a second? Can you imagine the old boy that's just south of this? He's going out that morning to get some water for his family. I mean, the river's at flood stage. He goes out to get some water, and he comes back with none. Tells his wife, river's dry. What do you mean the river's dry? It's completely dry. It's never completely dry. Today, it's completely dry. Why is that? Because what God was doing was not just for the children of Israel. What God was doing would be so that the nations could see the power of this God. You see that? And that's what God wants to do in your life. It's not just about you. It's about trusting God enough for him to do a work in your life that others may see the power of God in your life and be glorified. You see? Verse 17, the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped. Got to underline that one. Stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel, two million, passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. God did it. He kept his promise. He did what he said he would do. Last things. Today, your crossing is going to be for the courageous test taker. You remember in school, sometimes people would audit a class. Maybe you guys are at MTSU. you got people in your class, they're auditing a class. What does it mean to audit a class? It means you show up, you listen to the lectures, but you don't take any of the tests, and you don't have to do any of the difficult assignments. Can I tell you something about auditing? You'll never claim your inheritance by auditing the journey. You've got to have the courage to take the test that God has in front of you and not shy away. And let me, let, me just, let me just tell you something. God doesn't remove the raging rivers many times. He doesn't save us from them. He will save us through them as we trust Him and walk through. And here's the thing. Your faith and my faith needs to be tested 
before it could be trusted. There were battles that the children of Israel were going to have to fight. They were going to need a strong faith, and God is testing their faith so that their faith could be trusted and grow. Tozer says it this way, even better, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. Most of us, when we face these tests in our spiritual journey, we're prone to turn away and walk back. But the book of Joshua reminds us to be courageous test takers because your inheritance is on the other side. You see, and God brings impossible situations into our life. Why does he do that? Because without an impossible situation, we'd just be prone to take the credit and other people would make us king, wouldn't they? So what's your Jordan today as we come to a close? What's your Jordan? What's this impossible situation that you're up against? And God may be telling you it's time to take one step into the current and I'll unleash my power. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with a great struggle in your life. But what is that one step? Maybe for some it's just what we started out talking about just to flee the foolish. To, for the first time in your life, to invite some people of wisdom to speak truth into your life. For others, it's to learn what it means to follow, but don't tailgate. (laughs) Getting ahead of him is way worse than waiting on him. And following too close has consequences as well. For others, it could just be a step of consecration today. We turn away from the common to experience the uncommon. But for all of us, it's courage to take the next test that God has in front of us. Because he wants to bring you through it. And when he does, you'll never be the same. That's what's at stake. Can I have 30 seconds of your time for the most important thing I want to say today, please? Feel bad when preachers beg. Here's what you can't miss in this story. The story of Joshua in Joshua chapter 3 and the crossing of the Jordan is a part of a far greater story. In fact, Joshua's name is Yeshua, Jesus' Hebrew name. And so the point here is the children of Israel follow the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan. This raging river is stopped, and they're able to cross on dry land. What's in play here is for some of you today, listen. The impossible situation that you're facing today, whether you realize it or not. If you're watching online, could you listen? The impossible situation is you are separated from God and and there isn't a crossing in sight. There isn't a bridge that you can build to get across. Your sin has completely separated you from God and you're standing at the edge of the Jordan. And it is Jesus, our Joshua, who stepped into the water and stopped the flow. He destroyed the work of the enemy. He defeated sin and death through his sacrificial life. His crucifixion on a cross, he paid your penalty and stopped the flow and stands in the middle of the river on dry land and calls you a cross. This is your most important crossing. It's your most important crossing Would you today, by faith, trust Him? And here's what can happen. You can move from a place of death and separation to the other side of that river to a place of life, forgiveness, and hope through the work of Jesus, our Deliverer. I've been doing this for a long time. And what usually happens, it's not so much unbelief, it's usually someday, 
Someday I'll do that. You know what's interesting about this story? After the children of Israel got across to the other side, the current began to flow. You may never, ever come to this place again. A unique moment in time where you see for the first time or for the first time in a long time where you stand and what the Lord has done. And he's calling you across by faith into relationship with him. Don't miss your crossing. Trust him today. He will bring you safely home. That's the promise of his word. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the hope of your word. And now through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to apply your word to our life and experience the crossing that you have for us. In Jesus' name.